Good morning. Thank you, Will, for doing such a good job uh, this morning. And uh, I believe he has a birthday this week, so we're going to sing to him after uh, the service. So I'll, I'll lead that one today, Will. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing. I think he started leading singing here when he was 16, and so now he's an adult, so now we can really talk to him. Uh, but, no, we're really proud of you, Will, and uh, in your senior year, and so we just want to encourage you to keep uh, in service of the Lord and, and, uh, and doing what you're doing. It's a wonderful encouragement to me and to this church here. And uh, so it's good to see everybody. Happy birthday, Will. And uh, we'll sing to you here in a little bit. Uh, it's a beautiful day. It's, I, can't, I can't believe it. It's already September. Here we are. We're, we're getting into fall. Before you know it, we'll be celebrating Christmas. So it's, it's moving fast, isn't it? We are studying from the book of Psalms today, and we read a a chapter in our scripture reading, Psalms chapter 14, which describes uh, a a very dire time in the history of man. And and if you read that chapter, you might even think that the psalmist is talking about right now. He talks about there's no one that's doing any good, and he says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And it sounds kind of vaguely familiar, doesn't it? It kind of sounds like today. There's another passage in Psalms, Psalms 10.4, that says this, The proud, the wicked in his proud countenance, does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Imagine that. God is in none of his thoughts. That's what the wicked do. God is in none of his thoughts. And today... What I would like for us to think about, and I I want us to think about this with the most profound humility, is the nature of God. Who is God? What is God? We use that word God, don't we? But what are we talking about? Who are we talking about? You hear it every day. You hear it gratuitously. People using that word God in all kinds of different contexts. It's good and bad, right? People use His name all the time. People call upon His name. But who are we talking about when we talk about God? We have to first of all be humility, have humility when we're talking about God because when we're talking about God, we're talking about someone very different than any other person. Have you ever been in that situation to where you are talking about someone and we say sometimes we're talking behind their back and then all of a sudden that person that you're talking about and you think that you're talking in private away from them, they're, they're there and you get caught red-handed talking about someone when you think they're not there? You can't do that with God. You can't talk about God behind His back, can you? One writer said it like this, We must remember in discussing God that we cannot talk about Him without Him hearing every word we say. We may be able to talk about others behind their backs, but God is everywhere, yes, even here. 
Therefore, in all of our discussions, we must be aware of His infinite presence and talk about Him as it were before His face. I can't sit here and talk to you about God without Him knowing about it. So, there's a burden in that, isn't there? Because the way that I need to talk about God is with reverence and with fear. Because He hears every word that I speak. So it better be true. And it better be with the utmost reverence and fear. One person once said it like this, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. What you think about God. Because out of that thought, out of that belief, out of that value comes your life. And we have all kinds of different views of God probably just in this auditorium. But who is God really? And what does He want us to know about Him? One other writer said it like this, disregard the study of God. Listen to this. You sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life And listen to this, lose your soul. It's important what we think about God. And we want to fashion our thoughts after God's Word and after what He has revealed to us. Because you can devise all kinds of things about what God looks like and who God is, and they aren't Him. We must think things that are worthy of God. Well, there's some people who like to tell us that there's no way that you can conceive God in any way. They say because God is so transcendent, because God is so big, because God is so out there, there's no way that any of us can have any claim to truth about knowing Him or knowing anything about Him. But that doesn't sound like the God I know because the God I know has the power to reveal Himself to mankind. He has the power to tell us who He is and what He's about. And we better be about that. Some people have tried to tell us you can't know anything about God and they give this little story and I want to tell it to you. And it's about a group of blind men who heard of a strange animal and they say this is our conception of God. This is the best we can do called an elephant. And so they heard that it had been brought to the town, but none of them were aware of the shape and form of the elephant. And out of curiosity, they said, we must inspect and know it by touch, of which we are capable. So they sought it out, and when they found and they groped about it, in the case of the first person, they landed with the trunk. And they said, well, the elephant, it's like a thick snake. Well, then another one reached for its ear and it seemed kind of like a fan. They said, well, the elephant's a fan. Another person found the the elephant's leg and said, well, this elephant's a trunk. Another person had its hand on the side of the elephant and said, "I, I think the elephant's a wall. And then another person felt its tail and thought he was a rope. And then another person last felt the tusk of the elephant and said, well, the elephant is that which is hard and smooth like a spear. 
And so the point is of the story is that every one of them was describing the elephant, but none of them were describing the elephant adequately. Right? And they say, that's our picture of God, that you've got this experience of God, and I've got this experience of God. You're holding on to the trunk. I'm holding on to the leg, and I'm holding on to the wall of it. And we all got these different perspectives about who this elephant is. But is that how God wants us to know Him? We turn to Scripture and listen to what God says. Jeremiah 9, 24. But let him who glories, glories in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Well, when you ask God the question about whether you can know Him, He says, yes, emphatically, you can know me. And understand me. Habakkuk 2.14 For the earth will be filled with the knowledge and glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The Bible tells us over and over again that yes, you can know God. An infinite God. A powerful God. A loving God. You can know Him. Why? Because He wants you to know Him and He is capable of letting you know Him. How powerful would God be if He couldn't accommodate and adapt His message to where we can understand Him? That's the God in whom we serve. The first thing that we have to do though, if if we're going to know God, is first we have to know that He exists. That's the first step, isn't it? And when the psalmist talks about the fool that has said in his heart there is no God, he describes the situation perfectly because it's not an intellectual problem. A lot of people will tell you it's an intellectual problem to believe in God, that it's not rational, it's not reasonable. But the psalmist tells us where the problem is. The problem of the unbeliever isn't in rationality, it's it's the problem of the heart. Because ultimately people don't believe in God because it's intellectually unviable. They don't believe in God is because that means someone has a say on their life. And none of us want that. We want the say on it of our life. It's amazing. Francis Bacon the guy that began to first articulate the scientific method that we all talk about, that later became fully realized with John Stuart Mill, the value of the inductive method of science, said this about the existence of God. Listen to this. God never wrought a miracle to convince atheism because His ordinary works convince it It is true that a little philosophy inclineth man's mind to atheism, but depth in philosophy bringeth men's minds about to religion. For while the mind of man looketh upon secondary causes scattered, it may sometimes rest in them and go no further. But when it beholdeth the chain of them, confederate and linked together, it must needs fly to providence and deity. You see, the problem with those who don't believe, they rest in secondary causes. They never get to the true cause, which is God Himself. 
And ultimately, that's where the, the beginning of knowledge and philosophy of the existence of God began is because you must first have a prime mover, an uncaused cause. That's why Plato, Aristotle, Thomas Aquinas, and many other great thinkers posited a God just by rationality. It is reasonable to believe in God. But we must know His nature. And there's rival ideas about who God is. And Paul says in Acts 17, 29, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold and silver or stone. Listen to this. Something shaped by art and man's devising. There's a warning in that, isn't there? He's saying... The way you think about God, it better be in line with His personality and with His character. He's not gold. He's not stone. He's not art. He is not as man deviseth. We must know what God has revealed to us. And He reveals to us through our rationality, through nature, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament His handiwork. The Scriptures declare who God is because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And Jesus Himself reveals to us who God is. But we must know God Himself. It's not enough to know about God. But God wants us to know Him personally. You know, you can know everything about me. You can know where I was born. You can know how tall I am. You can know how low my IQ is. You could know what my shoe size is. You could have all those facts, couldn't you? And you would still not know me. Knowing God and knowing about God are two different things, aren't they? He wants us to know both. He wants us to understand Him. And Jesus said this, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's what God desires for us, to know Him through Jesus Christ whom He sent. So I want to give you a few things about God and describing God that God has given us through His Word. How do we understand God? Who is God? And so on. And this is not an exhaustive list by any means, because who are we talking about? We're talking about God. So we could spend the rest of our lives talking about God, and we would still need time to talk about God. That's what heaven's going to be all about, is understanding God in the fullness of who God is. But the first thing that we can know about God is that He has attributes which are moral, and then there's attributes which are non-moral. That doesn't mean he's unmoral or immoral, but there's just some that are not of a moral character. And the first begins with his self-existence. You see, God is very different from us because God exists out of necessity. He exists, and we call this word aseity. He is self-existence. That's why when people say, well, who created God? They misunderstand who God is. God has no beginning or end. God has no father. God has no creator. God is. 
And from His self-existence come other attributes like being infinite. Now think about that for a minute. We could spend the rest of the afternoon thinking about what infinity is, but no beginning, no end. There is no time constraints on God for one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day to God. He's infinite in nature. It's because of His self-existence that He's infinite. He's immaterial. He's not made of the stuff that we're made of. It says God is a spirit and they that worship Him, worship Him in spirit and in truth. He's immutable. That means He does not change. Do you change? I'm changing. We're all in the business of trying not to change, aren't we? In some ways. There's a, there's a whole lot of makeup lines and, and skin care things out there that are trying to keep people from changing. Right? And you get on a workout plan because you don't want to change the way you're changing. But we're changing. In fact, you don't have the same cells in your body that you had 10 years ago. You're totally different. Everything about nature is changing. It's contingent constantly. But when we come to God, He says, I do not change. Malachi 3.6 He does not change. That's why we sing that old hymn, Hold to God's unchanging hand. He's immutable. He's ineffable. He's transcendent. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Did you notice anything peculiar about those characteristics? We said infinite, immaterial, immutable, ineffable. We're really describing God by what He's not. He's not finite. He's not material. He's not changeable. In some ways, we describe Him by what He's not. And then we describe God by His allness. What do we mean by that? Omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And when you look at the universe, and when you look at the design in the universe, when you see what He has created, the vastness, the size of it, what power has been shown? What power? Well, then you have some people who like to be smart and they say something like this. Well, can, if God's all-powerful, well, can He create a boulder that He cannot lift? Or can He create an unmarried bachelor? If He's so powerful, then why can't He do that? Well, God is rational. In fact, it's rationality and reasonable that comes from the character of God, just as holiness and all the other things that we enjoy. And so when we can craft all kinds of questions that become a matter of semantics, and it's not a matter of sensibility. And ultimately, it's an illogical question. It's an irrational question. Job said, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. He's also all-knowing. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. It says in Psalms 147, verse 5, His understanding is infinite. There is no mysteries to God. God knows it all. 
He knows all things. He's everywhere, it says, omnipresent. He's everywhere. He knows our lying down and our waking up. He knows no matter where we go, we can ascend to the heavens, we can descend to hell, and He is still with us. He knows, and He is everywhere. Powerful, isn't it? But yet He's near. Those are those characteristics which are non-moral in nature, then we get to the moral attributes of God and they flow from His love. All of the moral aspects of God ultimately come from His love. 1 John 4, 8, He who does not love does not know God, for God is what? Love. God is all good. He's all benevolent because that's rooted in His love for us. Psalms 136.1 Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His mercies endure forever. He is good. He loves us. And that love is primary to His person. It's from that love that all morality comes from. That value comes from. You know, the, the interesting thing about God is, is that love existed before He created anything. He loved before we ever... He is first love. Why? Because God is relational within Himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Is there love there? Yes. It says in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And that love is the ultimate question of why. Why we're here. Why we're doing anything. is because He loved us into existence. Why are you here? Because God loves you into existence. That's why it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Those are connected. His, his love also is a part of His holiness. His goodness. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Why is He good? Because He loves. His truth is about His love. God cannot lie. His mercy is about His love. But God who is great in His mercy because of His great love wherewith He loved us. And ultimately, God's justice is about His love. God's justice is about His love. Someone once said that God's mercy becomes, or people's mercy becomes unmerciful without justice. And we see that happen, don't we? Mercy is only merciful when you have justice associated with it. The Bible gives us this description of God's justice in Romans chapter 2, and I want to read it to you. But we know the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, the forbearance and His long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath 
in the day of wrath in revelation to the righteousness judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. It goes on to say, there is no partiality with God. A part of God's love is that He's not going to make you do anything that you don't want to do. You know that? God loves you so much that He gives you the freedom even to reject Him. And the greatest thing that God has given you in this moment and in your life is that He gives you a choice. A choice. And He says you can do with this choice whatever you want to do with it. But He doesn't coerce or force anyone to love Him. Because ultimately, what is that? That's not love, is it? If someone makes you love them, is that possible? No, God gives you the choice of loving Him. And that's what love is, isn't it? Freedom. God has made us free. And if you really want to know God, look at the cross. Look at the cross because God in His creative love sent His Son and His Son is begging from His cross for you to be forgiven. For you to know God And in the cross, you see God's justice, God's mercy, God's love coalescing into one place like no other place ever before or ever since. And if you truly want to know God, know Jesus and His cross. The Bible says and promises to us that if we draw nigh unto the Lord, He will draw nigh unto us. If we draw near to the Lord, If we seek Him, if we seek His face, we will find Him. And I want to encourage you to do that today. I want to encourage you to do that with with your life. Because God loves you so much, He's made you free. You can walk out of this building and do whatever you want to do. You can walk out of this building and never come back again. You can go out of this building, you can try to rob a bank. You can walk out of this building and you can curse God who made you. But God is begging to know you and to love you and for you to come into relation because it's only there that true happiness, true fulfillment is. True rest. That's why Jesus said, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, for I am meek and lowly at heart. God desires for you to know Him. And it just takes you desiring to know Him. If you're not a Christian this morning, the Bible says to begin that journey, it's a journey of faith and believing. And faith is what we use in every aspect of life. Believe in Jesus. Believe in His Word. Believe that He spoke and it stood still. That He created. Repent of sins. We see what sin is doing to our world. We see what sin is doing to the homes. Turn from that sin and confess Him and be baptized into His body, the church. Or maybe you're a Christian this morning and you haven't been seeking the Lord or thinking about the Lord and you want to be encouraged with prayer. Or maybe you need a prayer of healing or encouragement. Whatever that need is, we're going to sing a song to encourage you. So won't you come now 
as together we stand and as we sing.